Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back to your therapy tools. Today's topic is narcissism. And I've compiled information from Joe Navarro from... Dr. Lee Carter and others. So let's get started by talking about exactly what is a narcissist. Okay, so narcissism does come on a spectrum just like everything else. Um, a healthy level of narcissism is what gives us confidence and it keeps us resilient. We can move on after we've been rejected because we love ourselves enough and we hold ourselves in high enough regard and we hold our standards high and we avoid um, we avoid people who are toxic. So a healthy level of narcissism is a good thing and that's that's on the lower side of the spectrum. Towards the middle we have somebody who is you know a little neurotic. They have a, uh, a very sore and broken ego, and it's extremely easy to offend them. They're very defensive. Um, they tend to want to justify themselves constantly, and this type of person, they're not incapable of love. They, they've built a wall around themselves. They've been hurt. They've been through a lot, and underneath that, hard shell that they've created is a heart that's capable of love but the world has turned them cold and they've been hurt so they're very hard to break the shell and get into but it can happen and then on the higher end is narcissistic personality disorder in the DSM-5 this is classified as a cluster B personality disorder it's um, and I'm reading here off of my list. It's considered to be one of the least identified personality disorders. And that's because a narcissist can mimic um, a healthy person's emotions. They can mimic that they care and have empathy. They can mimic a lot of things. So they're very good actors. And that's why sometimes it's hard for even a, a trained professional to be able to pinpoint if somebody is a narcissist. We can pick up on the narcissistic traits, but sometimes to pinpoint the actual narcissistic personality disorder, it can take some time. And usually people with this disorder do not seek therapy. If they do show up, it's because their spouse tells them, I'm going crazy, this marriage sucks, you have to do therapy or I'm leaving. So the spouse is still benefiting the narcissist in some way. So the narcissist will show up for therapy and go through the motions and tell the therapist what they think they want to hear. Um, a good number of patients with narcissistic traits present at the psychiatrist's office with other types of issues, such as anxiety or depression. A common finding in clinical practice 
narcissistic personality disorder frequently coexists with other psychiatric disorders. It's a relatively recent diagnostic feature. It, its origins stem from a great effort between psychoanalysts and psychoanalytic psychotherapists to recognize a cluster of predominantly difficult patients who cannot be classified as quite psychotic, not typically neurotic, and overall not responsive to conventional psychotherapeutic treatments. And that, that was written by Gildersleeve in 2012. So it appears to be more widespread in men than women. And um, in women, when they present with the narcissistic traits, um, it's most commonly borderline personality disorder. And the big difference between narcissistic personality disorder and borderline personality disorder is that with the narcissist, they manipulate for personal gain. So they're manipulating for financial personal gain, for power over somebody else, to get a promotion, um, just to feel superior. Sometimes it's just fun to, to squash somebody else. Um, with a, with a borderline personality disordered person, they manipulate because they want love. They manipulate because they fear abandonment. Um, and the two can really present in, in a lot of common ways with a lot of common traits. So we'll get more into that in just a moment. And, um, these are the basic symptoms of narcissistic personality disorder. Okay. So as assigned, as, as signified, sorry, by the existence of any five of the next nine standards, it starts in early adulthood and occurs in a range of situations. Okay. So a grandiose logic or self-importance a fixation with fantasies of infinite success, control, brilliance, beauty, or idyllic love, a credence that he or she is extraordinary and exceptional and can only be understood by or should connect with other extraordinary or important people or institutions, a desire for unwarranted admiration, a sense of entitlement, interpersonally oppressive behavior, no form of empathy whatsoever, resentment of others, or a conviction that others are resentful of him or her, a display of egotistical and conceited behaviors and attitudes. Another model characterizes it as having fair or superior impairment in personality functioning and includes at least two of the following areas, individuality, self-direction, empathy, and closeness. Um, there are no actual physical characteristics seen with this disorder, but patients um, who have been studied that have this disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, um, oftentimes they have concurrent substance abuse or alcoholism, which is interesting. Um, it is more prevalent in males, as I've said, with about 18% of males presenting with it compared to 6% of females. And that, that's from, from a study from Ronningstem and Weinberg in 2013. So that gives you an idea kind of 
what a narcissistic personality disorder full blown on the high side of the spectrum would look like. Um, treatment is, is, you know, different forms of therapy as well as psychotropic medications. Um, but usually a narcissistic personality disordered individual will not stick with treatment because essentially they feel there's nothing wrong with them and, um, they'll refuse the medication or they will tell the therapist, I'm doing, I'm using all the tools that you're teaching me. I'm doing the work, but they're really not. They'll, you know, you can hand them some worksheets and say, I want you to really examine your negative thinking patterns. I want you to, um, go and, and volunteer at a homeless shelter so that you can learn some empathy. You know, you might assign them different things. They'll leave and they'll throw those worksheets away. They will not complete any of the assignments that you've asked them to. And they'll come back with several excuses or they'll come back and tell you that they didn't feel they needed to do that because they've already done that in the past and it didn't do any good. So <laughs> they're, um, they're very frustrating to work with. And most of the time they, um, you know, like I said, they will not seek therapy. Um, the ones that do... Um, a lot of debate exists between the two key schools of thought offering conflicting methods regarding the therapist's role. Um, Kimberg states that a direct confrontation of the patient during therapy um, with the goal of eliminating or weakening the patient's grandiosity. On the other hand, Kohut supports a more empathic role. This encourages the patient's grandiosity, thus strengthening the patient's natural deficit self-image. Uh, this is this is from the Gildersleeve 2012 research as well. In therapy, a common form of treatment is a combination of both of these. So there's confrontation and then there is uh, showing empathy towards them. Because initially... Um, when we really examine the narcissistic personality disorder, they suffered severe trauma in childhood of some sort, or they were so overly indulged that their parents created a monster, so to say. So um, a lot of narcissists deep down inside, they loathe themselves. They are disgusted by themselves. Um and they feel that they are not worthy of love and that, you know, they're just, they have the worst self-image. So to combat that, they go all the way to the extreme of, I'm the greatest person that ever lived. I know celebrities. I, I'm going to inherit millions of dollars and be a, a gazillionaire. <laughs> they, they come up with a lot of lies and a lot of stories to try and you know, we've talked about the ideal self and the real self. They're trying really hard to present themselves as their ideal self because their real self is, in their own eyes, garbage. And they don't care who they hurt to create that image and keep it keep it going. Okay, so we've kind of examined what a narcissist is a little bit. And I found this letter on the internet. Um... It's very interesting, and it is from a website called Lucky Otter's Haven. So, 
if you have been with a narcissist or if you are with a narcissist, this letter will probably hit home. If they were to write you a letter and be honest, this is what it would sound like. Dear you, I have lied to you about nearly everything. I am not sorry for my behavior because I cannot empathize with you. I chose narcissism so early in my life that I never had the chance to develop a conscience or the capability to feel remorse or empathy for the way that I hurt you. Still, I know it's wrong on an intellectual level. I just cannot feel your pain. Sometimes I wish I could, but I can't. I became a narcissist because as a child, I felt too vulnerable. I was sensitive. I felt too much, and most of it was painful. I was made to feel like I was nothing, a nobody. I was hurt. I was betrayed. I was abused, just like you. I couldn't understand why I wasn't loved or why I was treated with contempt and like I didn't matter. I was also never given a good example of how to become a good person. I never had anyone to model in a positive way. Life was so painful for me, I had to do something about it, something drastic. I had to become strong and never show weakness again because my weakness was killing me. I was trained that being a sensitive person who feels compassion and remorse, a person who can love others, is weak. I know that isn't really the case, but it was how I was trained. I was so young I couldn't see how wrong that might have been. I reached out. I reached a point where I had to make a choice in order to survive. I had to sacrifice my humanity. I didn't want to do it, but I felt like I had to. I didn't want to hurt anyone, but I had to sell my soul. In order to sell my soul, I had to shut you and everyone else out. I couldn't allow myself to feel too much. I couldn't allow myself to be sensitive anymore, and that meant I could no longer allow myself to love. I had... I had to don this mask that I wear, which is a lie, in order to keep that lie intact. I had to treat others badly. I had to diminish you to prop up my false self. I had to hate you in order to love the mask that I showed the world. Because if I didn't continually prop myself up by making you feel bad, my mask of lies might fall off and expose the real me, a powerless, vulnerable child which I have to protect at all cost, even if it means destroying everyone around me. I am a bully, but inside I know I'm nothing. I act like I love myself, but I really hate myself. I only love the mask that I wear, and I abused you to protect that mask. You can never get through to my true self because the lies I tell are nearly impenetrable. I have lied so often and for so long, I have... I have myself come to believe my own lies. I am a walking lie. Now that is the truth. I will never let you get close to what I really feel. I don't even know what I feel. Most of the time I feel nothing because a lie has no feelings. But to destroy my protective armor, I will destroy you. If I must go down in flames, I'm taking you with me. I will rage and I will abuse you. I will gaslight you. I will tell you the most horrific lies about yourself. I may seem nice at first or when I feel like the supply you give me is threatened or you may leave. 
I know how to get others to trust me by acting like a nice person. I am very good at acting. But I can't feel a nice person's emotions. It's hard work to act nice because, well, that's a lie too. When you first begin to trust me, I will start abusing you because I must keep you at arm's length and my mask of lies intact at all costs. Both the niceness I show you and the asshole I become are both lies. I can't even access who I really am. I have forgotten. I just know that my true self is there somewhere and I can never, ever let you meet that person. If you mirror back to me too much of the truth about me, if I become aware that you know this mask I always wear is fake, I will destroy you. I will cut you out of my life. I cannot afford to have the truth about myself revealed to me. Nothing terrifies me more than facing the truth about myself, so I have dissociated myself from it. It scares me so much to realize how evil I have become. It hurts me so much that I had to choose this fake self because of what was done to me. I hate being evil. I really don't want to be this way, but I will never, ever admit that. I cannot ever show you or anyone in the world how weak and vulnerable I really am. But deep inside, I know I am. I'm still an infant. I never grew up. My emotional and moral development was arrested when I was just a very young child, so I only have the emotional maturity of a child of that age. That's why I can't care about you. It's why I must always have my way. Can a two- or three-year-old care about your feelings? Of course they can't, and like a toddler, neither can I. One-year-old... Whoops, I'm sorry, I lost my place. I am like a mentally challenged person, only my disability is not mental. It's an emotional and moral place. I am emotionally retarded. It's hard work keeping up my false self. I'm paranoid. I'm defensive all the time that I'll be discovered and exposed. It's enormously stressful to be a narcissist. It's stressful and often painful, and I know I've sacrificed the ability to ever feel real happiness. But still, I hurt all the time. You can't hurt me very easily. The only way I dare show my hurt is by projecting it back onto you through my abuse and through my rage. I'm a bully because I always hurt so much, but I can't hurt for you, only for myself. I can't afford to hurt for you. I'm too busy always licking my own wounds and trying to keep the lies going. I will hurt you if I must to keep those lies intact. As I age, I may soften a bit, but most likely I won't. I could even become worse. Don't wait for me to change because I never will. Once I chose this life, there was no going back. I chose darkness. And once that's done, there's no going back to the light. I sold my soul and there's no way to buy it back, but through the grace of God himself. If you care about yourself, because I can never care about you, you must leave now. Don't play my games. Ignore me and act like I don't exist. Being treated like I don't exist is the worst thing I can imagine. But if you care about your own survival, it's what you must do. I will destroy you if you don't. Heed my warning. There's even a small a very small chance that you're abandoning me and taking away the supply I get from you could make me take a look in the mirror for the first time at the lost child I left behind so long ago. If that happens, 
I will be in so much pain. I may seek help. Feeling that pain is too terrifying. It's easier to abuse my own mind and yours and keep up the lies. Don't wait for me to change. I won't. Don't play my games. Even if I rage, hold your ground. You're stronger than me, and I will never let you know this. Don't fall for my lies. Better yet, leave now. Keep your soul intact. Don't allow me to turn you into a shell of what you used to be, or worse, someone like me. Sincerely, your narcissist. Whew, gave me goosebumps to read that. Very cold. Um, now, Joe Navarro posted an article about narcissists, and um, he was referencing his book, Dangerous Personalities. And I asked him if I could quote him, and he sent me these PDFs, which are amazing. So I will start with how the narcissist sees himself. Number one, I love myself, and I know you do too. In fact, everyone does. I can't imagine anyone that doesn't. Number two, I have no need to apologize. You, however, must understand, accept, and tolerate me no matter what I do or say. Number three, I have a few equals in this world, and so far I have yet to meet one. I am the best, insert businessman, lover, or whatever. Number four, most people don't measure up. Without me to lead, others would flounder. Number five, I appreciate that there are rules and obligations, but those only apply mostly to you because I don't have the time or the inclination to abide by them. Rules, after all, are for small people. Number six, I hope you appreciate all that I am and everything I have achieved for you because I am wonderful and faultless. Number seven, I do wish we could be equals, but we are not and never will be. And I will regularly remind you that I am the smartest person in the room, how well I did in school, in business or whatever, with unapologetic frequency. Number eight, I may seem arrogant and haughty and that's okay with me. I just don't want to be seen as being like you. Number nine, I expect you to be loyal to me at all times no matter what I do. However, don't expect me to be loyal to you in any way. Number 10, I will criticize you and I expect you to accept it. But if you criticize me, especially in public, I will come at you with rage. One more thing, I will never forget or forgive and I will pay you back one way or another. Number 11, I expect you to be interested in the things I have achieved and in what I have to say. I, on the other hand, am not at all interested in you, what you have achieved. So don't expect a lot of curiosity from me because I don't care. Number 12, I am not manipulative. I just like to have things done my way, no matter how much it inconveniences others or how it makes them feel. I actually don't care how others feel. Feelings are for the weak. The narcissist is severely flawed of character. Never expect them to pivot away from who and what they are. They can fake being nice, 
but niceness is not goodness from dangerous personalities by joe navarro and the second pdf here's what to expect if you choose to tolerate the narcissist also from his book dangerous personalities number one resolve to accept that you are not equals because the narcissist feels they have no equals number two those feelings of insecurity dismay disbelief or incongruity you are experiencing are very real number three because they overvalue themselves you will be devalued in time and at all the times after that number four You will be talked to and treated in ways you never imagined and you are expected to tolerate it. Number five, their needs, wants, and desires come first above all others, no matter how inconvenient to you. Number six, be prepared on a moment's notice for them to turn on you with reptilian indifference as if the past did not matter. Number seven, When they are nice, they can be very nice. But if you feel insecure, that is because it's a performance and not a sentiment. Number eight, you will lap up their niceness, poodle-like, because it doesn't come often, but niceness for the narcissist is perfunctory. Number nine, be prepared for when they lash out, not with anger, but rather with rage, and it is frightening. Number 10, morality, ethics, kindness, and mere words. The narcissist masters these for their unity, but never adopts them completely. Number 11, the narcissist lies without concern for the truth because lies are useful to control and manipulate others. Number 12, if it seems they can only talk about themselves, even at the oddest of times, It's really not your imagination. They can only talk about that which they value the most, themselves. Number 13, the narcissist will associate with individuals you would not trust to park your car because they attract those who see narcissism as something to value. Example, power-hungry, unscrupulous, profiteers, and social predators. Number 14, never expect the narcissist to admit to a mistake or to apologize. Blame is always outward and never inward. Number 15, they expect you to forgive and forget and above all, never challenge them or make them look bad in public. Number 16, get used to feeling anxious, restless, less in control, increasingly worried, perhaps even developing psychosomatic ailments. That is your subconscious talking to you, telling you to run. If 12 or more of these apply, be careful. These individuals will victimize you emotionally and in other ways. The narcissist is severely flawed of character. Never expect them to change from what they are. From Dangerous Personalities by Joe Navarro. Now there's another book that I'm referencing here. And there are the 30 red flags of a narcissistic relationship. This is by a book called Psychopath Free. I don't have the author's name right now. I'm so sorry. But it's called Psychopath Free. And this was my favorite part of the book is these 30 red flags. It has helped a lot of people that I've shared it with. So 
Number one, you feel on edge around this person, but you still want them to like you. You find yourself writing off most of their questionable behaviors, accidental or insensitive, because you're in constant competition with others for their attention and praise. They don't seem to care when you leave their side. They can just as easily move on to the next source of energy. Number two, they use sex as a tool for control. After first hooking up with you with sexual praise and flattery, they suddenly become reclusive and uninterested. They make you feel desperate, ensuring that you are always the one to initiate. They are insulting. They use insulting names like whore, slut, nasty. They might also openly comment on their diminishing sex drive, making you feel like you're no longer attractive. Number three, they plaster your Facebook page with compliments, flattery, songs, poetry. They text you dozens, if not hundreds of times per day. You come to rely on this over-communication as a source of confidence. This is the love bombing phase. Number four, they quickly declare you their soulmate. And for some reason, you don't find it creepy. They tell you how much you have in common with them and on the first few dates you do most of the talking and they just can't believe how perfect you are for them number five they compare you to everyone else in their life ex-lovers friends family even your eventual replacement while they're idealizing and love bombing you they make you feel special by telling you how much better you are than all of these people but when the devaluing phase begins, they will use these comparisons to hurt you. Number six, lies and excuses. There is always an excuse for everything, even things that don't require an excuse. They make up lies faster than you can question the lies. They will always blame other people. It's never, ever their fault. They spend more time rationalizing their behavior than improving it. Uh, side note here, they are always the victim or the hero in their stories. So they've been victimized and they need your sympathy or they're the hero and they need your praise. But always, 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 it's somebody else's fault and not theirs. Number seven, no startle response. Total absence of anxiety, fear, and worry where there otherwise should be. They're also very easily bored by familiar and common things. You write off this as being, you know, calm, cool, confident, often feeling inferior and overly sensitive because you have normal human emotions. Number eight, they insult you with condescending, joking sort of attitude. They smirk when you try to express yourself. They tease you and, and that becomes the primary mode of communication. Then they subtly belittle your intelligence and achievements and if you point it out, they'll call you hypersensitive and crazy and say, oh, I was just kidding. Number nine, they'll use social networking to provoke jealousy and rivalries while maintaining their cover of innocence. They once focused all of their attention on you, but now they post ambiguous videos and statuses to make you doubt your place in their heart. They will like other, other men and women's pictures. They'll comment on everybody's posts except yours they may even delete you from their friends list for no reason um number 10 you find yourself playing detective it has never happened in any other relationship but suddenly 
You're scrolling back years on their Facebook page and albums. Same with their ex. You're seeking answers to a feeling that you cannot explain. Number 11. Surrounds themselves with former lovers and potential mates. They brag that all their exes still want to sleep with them, but they assure you there's nothing to worry about. These people make you feel jealous and they give off the perception that your partner is in high demand. Number 12. They hyperbolize emotion while displaying none. So they'll tell you, I feel sad, but you won't see any tears. They'll tell you, I'm so very happy, but you just don't see it on their face. And um, if you read Joe Navarro's book, What Everybody is Saying, um, it helps you to understand body language a little better. A genuine smile will cause the eyes to crinkle, and sometimes the nose will crinkle a little bit with a big, genuine smile. But if it's a what I call a snap smile or a fake smile, the eyes don't crinkle, the nose doesn't crinkle, and the smile goes away quick. When it's a sincere smile, it takes a few minutes for the smile to slowly fade back to a normal resting face. So keep your eyes open for that, and definitely check out Joe Navarro's books. He's a genius. Okay, um, number 13. You're the only one who sees their true colors. Others will think they are the nicest person in the world, even when they are used for money, resources, and attention. They won't care because this narcissist strategically distracts them with shallow praise, often done over social networking. Psychopaths are often able to maintain superficial friendships far longer than any relationship. This is very true because their friends don't truly know them. Their friends know the mask that they wear. And when you live with one of these people and the mask falls off, if you try to reach out because at this point you're isolated, if you're with a narcissist, and you try to speak to somebody in their family or one of their friends and say, oh my gosh, you know, I think I'm going crazy, they'll tell you, oh, you know, the what you're saying doesn't even sound like him. He's such a great person or she's she's the greatest person in the world. She'd give you the shirt off your back. You know, we all love this person. What what are you trying to say? So, these people that they fool, these superficial friends are also referred to as their flying monkeys. Um number 14. They will accuse you of emotions that they intentionally provoke. This is gaslighting friends. They'll call you jealous after they blatantly flirt with their ex. They'll call you needy after intentionally ignoring you for three days in a row. And you say, can I have a hug? Can I hold your hand? And they're like, why are you so clingy? Jeez. And another form of gaslighting is they will convince you. There's a movie called Gaslight, I believe, from uh, the early 1940s or the late 1930s. I highly recommend you watch it. There's a scene in this movie, um, there's a, an heiress who in, inherited a lot of money, and this narcissist wants her fortune, so he marries her, and or he's trying to marry her, I can't remember if they were married or not, anyway that doesn't matter, but he's with her in her home, and he goes upstairs into the secret room, he'll leave the house, walk around the block, go up this little stairway path, and get into that room which inside the house, that door is boarded off. So she thinks nobody can go in that room. (coughs) Excuse me. So when he goes in that room, 
and he turns on the lamp in there, which is a gas light, right? It's run by gas. When he turns that on, the other gas lights in the home dim a little. And she looks up and she says, oh, that's really weird. Why, why is the gas light dimming? And she'll ask the, uh, the maid and the butler, did you notice that? And they say, no, ma'am, I, I didn't see anything. So they're in on it with the guy. He's promised them money if they convince her she's crazy. And there's another scene where he gives her this beautiful brooch to pin on her dress. And then he says, oh, you know what, honey? Uh, you should probably let me hold on to it because you know how you lose things. And she's, she's standing there shocked, and she says, I do? And he goes, yes, honey, don't you remember? You lose things all the time. And she said, I, well, I'll put it in my purse. So she puts it in her purse. They go out to dinner with some friends, and she excuses herself to run to the restroom. He takes the brooch out of her purse, puts it in his pocket. And then when she comes back, he says, honey, show them the, the brooch I bought you. And she starts digging frantically through her purse. She can't find it. And he says, oh, no, you've lost it, haven't you? And another form of gaslighting is they will say something to you like, oh, I have this coworker who is super petite and skinny and just gorgeous. And she's a single mom and, and she's a wonderful person. And, you know, I think I'm going to help her fix your car. And... You might be slightly overweight and also a single mom with a broken car sitting in your driveway who this person claims to love more than anyone in the world. And it might hurt your feelings to hear this person tell you that. But when you process it for a few minutes and think, hey, that's that's not cool, you know, why? And then you mention it to them. They will get angry and defensive and tell you, I never said that. You're exaggerating. So the gaslighting is crazy making. It will make you feel like you're losing your mind. It will make you feel terrible about yourself. And you'll hit a point where you start to exhibit maybe symptoms of bipolar because you're, you're just moody and, and you feel yourself changing and becoming angry all the time. Narcissists are no fun. Sorry, I got off track. Let me get back. Number 15, they cannot put themselves in your shoes or anyone else's. You find yourself desperately trying to explain how they might feel if you treated them this way, and they stare at you with dead fish eyes. They don't get it. Uh, number 16, you are engaged in constant conversations about their exes. You know them all by name, and you know everything about their relationship at least your partner's version of the events. The ex becomes one of the most frequent topics of discussion in your relationship. Number 17, you find yourself explaining basic elements of human respect to a full-grown man or woman. Normal people understand the fundamental concepts of honesty and kindness. No adult should need to be told how they are making other people feel. Number 18, they focus on your mistakes and they ignore their own. If they're two hours late, don't forget that you were once five minutes late to your first date. If you point out their mistakes, they will always be quick to turn the conversation right back onto you. Number 19, suddenly and completely they are bored by you. 
They give you the silent treatment and become very annoyed that you seem to be interested in continuing a passionate relationship that they created. You are now a chore to them. Number 20, the ultimate hypocrite. They have extremely high expectations for fidelity, respect, and adoration. After the love bombing phase, they will give none of this to you. They will cheat, they will lie, they will insult, and they will degrade. But you are expected to remain perfect. Number 21, sometimes it seems as though they have forgotten who they're supposed to be when they're around you. They adopt different personas for different people. They transform their entire personality to match various audiences. And it's always very eerie when they slip in into an accidental mask for you. You'll start to feel that their personality just doesn't seem to add up. Like around Fred, they might laugh like Fred. They might drink Bud Light like Fred. But when they're around George, they'll laugh like George. And they'll say Bud Light is mountain goat piss and they only drink Coors. So... You'll, you'll notice this. They tend to agree with everybody and play up to people to um, expand their flying monkey base. Number 22, they have an unusual amount of crazy people in their past. Any ex-partner or friend who didn't come crawling back to them will likely have been labeled jealous, bipolar, alcoholic, or some other nasty smear. They'll speak to you about the same. They'll, they'll tell their next target the same stuff about you. You are the next crazy psychotic ex on their list. No matter what you do, you will be on that list. Number 23, they will flatter your deepest insecurities. If you're self-conscious about your looks, they'll tell you you are the sexiest person in the world. If you have a need to entertain, they'll say you're like the funniest person they ever met. They'll also mirror your greatest fantasies playing whatever role is necessary to win your heart. 24. They frequently comment about what you're wearing and how you look. They also pass these judgments on celebrities on TV, people walking down the street. It's a constant judgy McJudger 10 judgmental festival with these people. They try to arrange you. They become... You start to become obsessed with your appearance, noticing flaws that likely don't even exist. During and after the relationship, you will spend significantly more time in front of the mirror and you will be wondering, what is wrong with me? Number 25, you fear that any fight could be your last. Normal couples argue to resolve issues, but a narcissist will make it very clear that negative conversations will jeopardize your relationship, especially if it regards their behavior. You will apologize and forgive quickly. Otherwise, you know they will lose interest in you. Number 26. Obsessed with humiliating, successful, kind, and cheerful people. They are delighted by the idea of breaking up friendships and marriages. If you work hard to maintain interpersonal peace in your life, they will make it your mis their mission to uproot all of it and give you chaos. Number 27. Here's gaslighting again. <laughs> they blatantly deny their own behavior and ignore evidence when confronted. They will become angry if you attempt to disprove their delusion with facts. 
Number 28, they expect you to read their mind. If they stop communicating with you for several days, it's your fault for not knowing about the plans they never told you about. There will always be a self-victimizing excuse to go along with this as well. Like, you never listen. Number 29, selfishness and a crippling thirst for attention. They drain your energy and consume your entire life. Their demand for adoration is so insatiable. You thought you were the only one who could make them happy, but now you feel that anyone with a beating pulse could fit the role if they're willing to be their captive audience. However, the truth is no one can fill the void of a narcissist's soul. Number 30. Your feelings after a run-in with a narcissist. You will feel insane, exhausted, drained, shocked, possibly even suicidal, and very, very empty. You will tear apart your entire life, spending money, ending friendships, and searching for some sort of reason behind it all. Because relationships are games to them, and because they view other people as objects, and they feel completely justified in exploiting them. Narcissists know that deception creates an uneven playing field. Lying is integral to impression management and mirroring. The lies enable them to present false images of themselves to all potential targets. Those targets lose the ability to make safe and appropriate decisions. They enter into relationships unaware of the danger in store. Then once the targets are hooked, the narcissist continues to use lies along with little sprinkles of truth and dangling carrots. They lie to cover up cheating, alcoholism, drug use, and sometimes various illegal activities. They tend to be thieves. Um, they lie through evasion and by withholding information. They lie as a form of gaslighting in order to increase their control over their targets and make them constantly question themselves and their own sanity. So there are nine verbal abuse examples that you will experience if you're with a narcissist. And we're still, we're still in the psychopath-free book, okay? Number one, circular conversations. You'll think you work something out only to begin discussing it again in two minutes. And it's, if you've, it's as if you've never even said a word the first time around. They begin reciting all the same tired garbage, ignoring any legitimate argument that you may have provided just moments ago. If something is going to be resolved, it's on their terms. With a narcissist, the same issues will come up over and over. Why are they so friendly with their ex again? Why are they suddenly not paying attention to you? Why do they sound so eager to get off the phone when you call them? And every time you bring up these issues, it's as if you never even had the argument before in the past. You sucked, you get sucked back in only to feel crazy, high maintenance, and when they decide, I'm sick of arguing about this, it becomes a merry-go-round. Number two, bringing up your past wrongdoings while ignoring their own. If you point out something nasty they're doing, like ignoring or cheating, they'll mention something totally unrelated from the past that you did wrong. Did you used to drink too much? Well, then their cheating isn't that bad compared to your horrible drinking problem. Were you late for your first date? Well, you can't complain about them ignoring you for three days, and God forbid you bring up any of their wrongdoings. Then you're a bitter lunatic with a list of grievances. 
they try to come across condescending and patronizing. The entire conversation will have this calm, cool demeanor. It's almost as if they're mocking you. They're gauging your reaction to see how much further they can push you. When you finally react emotionally, that's when they'll tell you to calm down, raise their eyebrows, smirk, or pretend to be disappointed. The whole point of word salad is to make you unhinged and therefore give them the upper hand. Because remember, conversations are competitions, just like anything else with a narcissist. And let me find the page really quick. Dr. Les Carter on YouTube. Dr. Les Carter, L-E-S-C-A-R-T-E-R on YouTube. He explains this, what I just read, as the gotcha game. So they play the gotcha game. They will push your buttons. They will pull your triggers. And they know all of them because they know you inside and out. Remember the love bombing. They wanted to hear your life story. They know what bugs you. They know your insecurities. Uh, they They will push your buttons. And when you respond and react and you flip out, then they calm down and they say, do you want me to call the police? You're acting psychotic. Or you need to lower your voice. Who, 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 who acts like that in front of their children? My God. You know, so uh, don't play the gotcha game. We'll talk more about that later. But um, go, check out, go check out his videos. Um, they're very good videos. And he really breaks everything down segment by segment Dr. Les Carter okay number four verbal abuse accusing you of doing things they are already doing so I've I've kind of mentioned this they'll begin to label you with their own horrible qualities and this goes beyond just projection because most people project unknowingly we project our own shit onto others basically right but a narcissist knows they're smearing you with their own flaws and they are seeking a reaction this is another form of gotcha the gotcha game after all how can you not react to such blatant hypocrisy right so they may be cheating on you and they'll come home and treat you like you've been cheating on them until you blow your 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 you blow a gasket on them right they're they're sneaking around they're going through your phone they're they're even spying on you or having friends spy on you and you're not even you're going to the store to get a slurpee you know (laughs) while when they're gone they are going straight to a hotel and having sex with somebody they just met at work or at a bar so they're going to come home and say oh you're a filthy whore you're cheating on me (laughs) and you know you haven't been so of course you're going to be defensive and say hell no I'm not what's wrong with you and then they'll, they'll get that smirk, that sense of calm, and they'll be like, ha gotcha. Um, they have multiple personas. So it's sort of like good cop, bad cop, demented cop, stalker cop, scary cop, baby cop. <laughs> if you're pulling away and you're sick of their abuse and lies, they'll restore a glimpse of the idealized phase, the love bombing phase. This is the dangling carrot. They'll say oh I love you so much we really should work this out you know I've never loved anyone the way I've loved you and I miss that 
I miss that, honey. Let's work this out. And so you're jumping up trying to take a bite of that carrot and they're moving it away from your face and you never quite get to bite the carrot. But you, you're tortured, but you're lured back in because you want that. You want what you had in the beginning. It was so good. The sex was good. The conversation was good. He stood up for you. He doted on you or she, you know, this person took such good care of you and it was like a fantasy romance. It was incredible. But then they started devaluing you and hope is what made you stay. The hope that you could get back to that love bombing phase because it had to be real, right? No, it was never real. It was all a game. It was all a show. Okay. So next he's the eternal victim. He or she Somehow their cheating and lies will always lead back to a conversation about their abusive past or crazy exes. You'll end up feeling sorry for the asshole because most of the time, those of us who are attracted to the narcissist, we're empaths or we're codependent. Some of us are even borderline who are attracted to the narcissistic personality. So... They can break your leg and convince you that it's somehow your fault and that they did it because their dad beat them when they were little and then suddenly you don't care that your leg is broken. You want to heal their heart and you forgive them. It's terrible. And then next week they'll break your leg again. Um, Okay, number seven. You're explaining basic human emotion. So let's, let's... detail this. Let's clarify this a little more. You think to yourself, man, if they can just understand why I'm hurt, then they'll stop doing this. But they won't. They wouldn't have done it in the first place if they were a decent person. Normal, healthy, decent people don't go around hurting people. And if you're in a committed relationship and that person goes and has sex with somebody else and cheats on you and lies to you, They know damn well that's going to hurt you, possibly destroy you if you find out. So if they cared, they wouldn't put themselves in that position in the first place. The worst part is they'll pretend to be decent when you first meet. They'll suck you in with such a sweet, caring persona. They know how to be kind and good, but it's very boring to them. They prefer drama. Um, Number eight, excuses. Everybody messes up now and then. We've all made mistakes. We've all done some really bad stuff we're not proud of, right? But a narcissist will have a whole list of excuses. And their actions never match up with their words. They might promise you, I'll never cheat again. I'm so sorry. And and, uh, if you have to track me with my phone and go through my emails, that's fine. You can have all my passwords. Well, guess what? Next, next Thursday, they will change all their passwords and they will cheat on you again. And then they will tell you, when are you going to get over this? You really need to trust me or we have nothing here. And then you're going to feel bad because maybe they've gone to therapy with you. Maybe they've convinced you that they've changed, but it's not true. They'll never change. 
And when actions don't match words, it's all a lie. If somebody tells you, I love you, I love you, and they're on their knees in front of you with big old crocodile tears, and they're telling you, I love you so much, I love you, I love you, I love you, but their actions don't show you that they love you, then honey, they don't love you. Clear. Case closed. They don't love you. So, you might be also thinking, what just happened? Conversations leave you drained and and feeling just sick inside. Okay, so this is segment one of narcissism. We will start on segment two, where we'll talk more about how six major points during the idealization or love bombing phase how they snatch you up how they get you to stay with them we'll talk a little more about hope and then we're going to talk about codependency and borderline personality disorder and we're going to talk about how to handle your narcissist And I will have some wonderful recommendations for one of the greatest audiobooks I've ever found about covert narcissists that has helped a lot of people. The lady is a genius who wrote it. So tune in for Narcissism Part 2. And thank you for tuning in to your therapy tools. I hope you have a wonderful day and I hope this was helpful. Please um, like and favorite my podcast and share with friends. Okay, on to episode two after this break.